cart in many different ways this morning. And so, Father, I just commit your word to you and I just ask that you would come and you would move in power and that we leave from this place with keys on how we can love people better and how we can live for you. Amen. How are you going in real life? So good to see you today. Are you excited to be here? Very good. Thank you, creative team. I really appreciate you. Do you appreciate them? I really appreciate them today. Well, good to see Louis and Gary back and all the Madan team. And uh, moving forward in the year, it's August. We're getting ready for the second half of the year, or already in it, really. And um, moving forward in life. And I've been reading John lately. It's been great. John 9 and 10 in particular. And I just want to share with you this morning some, or actually one thing that I got out of it, which led to uh, most of my message today. Um, so I'm, I, I want to read from you from John 9.35.41, but just let me put it in context for you first. This morning I've t- entitled my message, Losing My Religion. And uh, I wouldn't describe myself as an overly religious person, but I have grown up in the church. And it's really easy for Jesus and religion to mesh together. And I've I've discovered as I'm getting older in my 20s and now in my 30s that there's probably more religion in me than I realised. And um, so this morning, um, as I read from John 9:35 to 41, this is the context basically. So the Pharisees are bullying a beggar who is being healed by Jesus. And they want to know who, who this Jesus is and where he gets his power. And the man knows nothing, only that he was blind and now he can see. But the Pharisees are not um, happy with his answer and they get offended and so they throw the beggar out. And so here's um, from verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? And Jesus said, if you were blind... You would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. It goes on to um, chapter 10. And in chapter 10, it talks about Jesus saying, um, I am the good shepherd and my sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. Strangers don't follow my voice. My sheep follow my voice. And when I read that, I went, oh, yeah, I get it. (laughs) I read that verse so many times. But here, Jesus is making a distinction 
between his followers and the religious. He's saying, my sheep know my voice. They don't follow strangers. Jesus is saying that he has come um, to Israel, to us, and he's not come for um, religious purposes. And I read this quote that I love. It's by Michael Frost, and it says this. In this context, Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd, isn't a message of nurture and protection. It's a declaration of revolution. So he's, you know, I've read that verse so many times and I thought, oh yeah, he's a good shepherd. He's kind and he's loving and he's protective and he's going to nurture me and he does, doesn't he? But what he's saying here is he's actually talking not to the man, he's talking to the Pharisee. And he's saying this to the Pharisee, I am the good shepherd because he wants the Pharisee to know that there is a difference between the religion he follows and the people that follow Christ. He's creating a gap between religion and who he is. If you ask anyone today out there in Maitland, name a religion, name two or three religions, what do you think they'd say? Would they say Christianity? I think they'd say Islam, Christianity, and they might rattle off a few others like Buddhism or something like that. But the, they'd probably say Islam and Christianity, the first two that they'd say. They call us religious. They call this a religion. But yet Jesus, he didn't come to establish a religion, protect a religion, talk to us about religion. He came to start a revolution. People don't call him a revolutionary because all he really was doing was following the voice of the Father. But if you have a look at Jesus, he is a revolutionary because he changed the whole world. So Jesus didn't come to start a religion, but he came to establish a new way of life. So shouldn't we as Christians be called revolutionaries rather than religious people. There's a miss, isn't there? When others call who we are religious, but Jesus wasn't religious, there's, an, there's a gap there. If we want to be true revolutionaries, true followers of Christ, I believe the first thing we need to do is what Jesus did and make a distinction between religion and the Christ follower. The first thing we need to do in order to be revolutionaries like Jesus is to lose our religion. So let's have a look at religion and what a few people say about it. This amazing woman called uh, Yolanda, she's a friend of Oprah, but um, she's beautiful and I love her. She says this, religion is the rules, regulations, ceremonies and rituals developed by man to create conformity and uniformity in the approach to God. Doesn't sound good, does it? Eugene Peterson, the guy that bring us the message interpretation of the Bible. He says this about his own nation. American religion is conspicuous for its Masonic 
pretentious energy, it's embarrassingly banal, which means common, prose, and it's impatiently hustling ambition. That's how he described religion in his nation. But then Jesus, let's have a look at what Jesus says of religion in Matthew 9, 10 to 13. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with tax collectors and others disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer religion. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So what Jesus is saying here is, to sit at my table, you need to be a sinner. Because healthy people don't need to sit here. And what happens with religion, I think, is we come to Jesus and we sit at his table because we need him. We're not healthy. We're sick. We need a doctor. And then we think after a while, okay, I'm good now. And we get up from the table and we become healthy. You can't actually get up from the table if you want to stay with Jesus. You've got to sit at the table and know that you need him. We never graduate from Jesus. When we graduate from Jesus, then we step into religion. And I don't know how you can sit at the table with Jesus as a sinner and point at the other sinners around the table and say, sinner, 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 when you're sitting at the same table with Jesus. I love this stuff. You know what it does to me, church? It's like an operation. Jesus is so refreshing here. He's saying, you need me, Lozzie. So sit at the table with the other sinners. Yes, you are righteous in me. Yes, I have ta- I, through the cross, I've taken all your sin and death and sickness. But you know what? You've got to stay with me. Stay in need of me. Stay recognizing the reason why you're healthy is because you've been sitting with me at the sick table. Are you sick or are you healthy? One or the other, sick or healthy. The only people allowed to have relationship with Jesus, allowed to sit at his table, were the sick. And so what do I do? I stay at the table with the other sinners because I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I stay at the table. And he, as soon as I get up from the table and I think I'm healthy, it's just like what that verse says, then I'm actually not. So I stay at the table, and we've got to stay at his table too in order to remain revolutionaries. If you want to follow Jesus, guess what? You've got to sit at the table. And you've got to look at his life and you've got to say, gosh, you were a revolutionary Jesus. Look at your life. You did all this awesome stuff. Look what you did for people. Look who you were to people. And I look at Jesus' life and I go, who? You know, I want to follow you, Jesus, but 
who are you following Jesus? And so in order to follow Jesus, we really have to follow who Jesus followed. And Jesus followed the voice of the Father, but he also followed the Spirit. So I think the uh, difference between religion and Jesus is not just religion and Jesus, but religion and spirit-filled living. We are called to live spirit-filled lives, not religious lives. So the distinction here is follow Jesus, which is following the spirit, or follow religion. So how... Let's have a look at the spirit in Jesus' life. So in Luke 4, 18, it says this, The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So right at the beginning, Jesus says, The spirit of the Lord is on me for this purpose. Then Acts ten thirty eight it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, and with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus followed the Spirit. So Christ followers are crafted by the Spirit, not crafted by religion. You are either led by the Spirit, a Christian, or led by religion, which is churchianity, really, isn't it? I really don't want to be a churchiani, churchianity. What? Churchian. I really don't want to be a churchian. I want to be a Christian. And Jesus, at the very start of my message I showed you, Jesus made the distinction between the two. And do you know what I think? This is what I think and what I sense in the spirit. That the next era of church in church history is going to look like the gap getting bigger. The gap between religion and spirit-filled Christ followers is going to get bigger. I think the the millennial generation and, and Gen Y, that's the calling on their, that generation's life. To actually make the gap bigger between the religious things that we've been merging in with Jesus and step over here and go, you know what? We're all about following the Spirit and living lives alive with Him rather than religion. And I'm looking forward to that. I want to see that with my own eyes. A generation of spirit-filled Jesus lovers that kick religion to the curb. So I want to have a look now at the difference between religion and following the spirit. So first of all, is my little thingy up there? First of all, I've got man. So religion is man-made. Spirit. Spirit is God. He's part of the Trinity. God in one, Father, Spirit, and Son. In John 4, 24, it says God is spirit. That's why we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. 
So you've got to be careful of who you're listening to, man or the spirit. Number two, religion emphasizes law. Do this, do that. Rules, regulations, rituals, ceremonies. Spirit emphasizes freedom. 1 Corinthians 3.17. Now, the spirit of the Lord, now the Lord is spirit, sorry, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom, freedom. Number three, tradition. So one way of doing things. Religion will say, this has to be like this. But the spirit, he's into innovation. He does different things. He's spicy. He's fresh. He's zesty. There's many expressions of the spirit. And 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6 says this, there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God who works all of them in all men. So God told me, or the Spirit of God told me and Lottie to sell our house and give the profit away. But he's not necessarily saying that to you. The Spirit might tell you, you know what, I think you should stay off the drink for a month. He ain't saying that to me. (laughs) The Spirit directs us, doesn't he? He knows us. He knows our temperament, our personality. He knows what we're good at. He knows what we're anointed for. And so he directs us as individuals. And he tells us how to be an expression of him. You know, I get really nervous when all our churches look the same and all our Christians look the same because the Holy Spirit is expressive and creative and innovative and he works in different ways through all of us and religion has a real problem with that. Next one, sin-focused. So religion is sin-focused. This is what you have to do in order to be a good Christian. This is how Christians speak. This is how Christians act. This is how Christians come and go. This is what Christians think. That's what religion says. Sin-focused. Religious people are really scared because they don't want to do the wrong thing. They're scared of sinning. And so they can't be themselves. Have you noticed religious people? This can't be themselves because they're scared of sinning. But when we're Christ-focused, have a look. In John 16, 13 to 14, it says this. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So Christ is saying, this is Jesus talking here. He's saying, the spirit will give glory to me. The spirit puts Jesus in lights. 
The Spirit is like a neon flashing sign for Christ, not for sin, for Christ. Some people think we need religion and Christ because if we don't have religion, people will just walk around and they'll do sinful things and it will give them license to do whatever they want whenever they want. But that's not true because it says here that the Spirit leads us into all truth. So we don't need religion. We just need Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, Blah, 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 blah. There's more. That sounds good to me. If I just follow the Spirit, I don't need that religious stuff because I already got it covered. The Spirit will lead me and show me and teach me. And if I need to be convicted, guess what? The Spirit will do it. If my heart is open to Him, the Spirit will do it. I don't need a man in a cloak telling me that I've got sin in my life. The Spirit will do it. In the most gentle, loving, life-giving way. Religion is sin-focused. The spirit is Christ-focused. Religion is exclusive. This kind of people gather together, not that kind. You have to look like this, live like this, talk like this in order to be here. But the Spirit is inclusive. Colossians 3.11 says this, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scytherian, which are people from Southeast Europe apparently, slave or free, but Christ is, is all and in all. Then in Acts 10, 34, it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. So religion will say, You're not welcome. But the Spirit will say, Everyone's welcome. Next one, religion is controlled. You feel controlled when there's a religious spirit in your life, when there are religious people around. You feel a little bit like I can't be myself, like a bit controlled, controlling. But the spirit is untamed. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with anyone born of the Spirit. The Spirit is untamed. You can't say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, can you please turn up at 10 o'clock on a Sunday and leave at 12 when we all do and do your thing in there somewhere. The Spirit is untamed. He comes and he speaks and he works and he does what needs to be done. He's not some, someone we keep on a leash. And religion will teach you that the Spirit is moldable or manipulative. Um, no, that's not the right. Um, able to be manipulated. But we cannot manipulate the spirit. We cannot control him. He blows. He does whatever he wants. Just like we can't build this church. There's nothing I can do to build this church the way that God wants it to be built other than say surrender to the spirit. He's the one that builds the church. 
He's the one that draws hearts. He's the one that changes lives. Him, 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 him. And that's why whenever we're here, we have to emphasize him because he's the one that changes us and molds us and makes us and speaks to us and helps us. Religion is neat boxes and walls. You know, it's just so neat, isn't it? Religion. It's just so polished. A neat little devotional and a neat little, I don't know, life. (laughs) That's what I think. But, you know, the spirit is messy or probably a better word is mysterious. There's mystery with the spirit. And I see over and over and over again examples in the Bible of the spirit at work and it's messy. There's a difference between messy and, and unordered. He's not chaotic. He doesn't come in and make a mess and then leave. So messy isn't a really good word there. But what I mean is that he doesn't always do things in a way that seems orderly, although he is orderly. So if we have a look at a few examples of that, Jesus at the Last Supper, here he is, he takes the, you know, the wine and the bread and the disciples around the table and what happens in that place that would be awkward and messy? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. The Messiah washes the disciples' feet. That's not orderly. That's awkward. That's be, you know, going beyond the boundary. That's, some people might even say, inappropriate. Gene didn't care about that. He was obeying the Father. He was serving. He was, he was showing us that he was humble, that he loved us. He was teaching us how to be with each other. That was awkward led by the Spirit to do something a little bit unordered. The Holy Spirit at Pentecost, was that, was that ordered? Tongues of fire, sounds of rushing wind. And then there were people that looked at the disciples and, and said, oh, they've been, they've been drinking too much wine. That's not ordered. What about the feeding of the 5,000? How messy and awkward is that? Trying to feed 5,000 people. (sighs) What about the birth of Christ in a manger surrounded by animals? If anyone has ever been in a birthing suite, you'll know how messy it is despite the animals. And I had pain relief. But poor Mary... I don't know if it hurt, but it would have been messy. What about the valley of the dry bones? When he points, says prophesy to these bones that they may live, surely it would have been more orderly just to leave the bones in the ground. But can you imagine this army of bones getting up? In the desert, do you remember this? Could you imagine the sandstorm that was happening as the bones were coming to life? That's really messy. 
Religion wants us to be neat. But the Spirit comes and he shows us a different way of doing things and he messes us up, but it's all connected to purpose. And the last one there is routine versus relationship. Routine would say, go to church, go to church, go to church. Relationship would say, be the church, be the church, be the church. Relation, a routine would say, read the word, read the word, read the word, read the word. Relationship would say, know the word. The word. Jesus is the word. Know the word. Routine would say, pray to God, pray to God, pray to God. Relationship would say, pray with God. Sit with him and pray with him. Routine verse relationship, religion verse the spirit. You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, I need a new word other than Christian because the world, the world, you know, they associate Christianity with religion and I'm not religious. And how do I communicate to them that I'm not religious, but I'm a Christian? And it's so hard, God. I don't have a problem with the word Christian because I know what it means. It means a follower of Christ, but they think it means religious. Somebody that can't do this and can't do that. I need a new word, God. Give me a new word, Holy Spirit. You know, I felt like God was leading me to the word vessel. And I don't go around calling myself a vessel, but just in my own mind, he was showing me that I am a vessel filled of the spirit. Vessel speaks of relationship, but it also speaks of function. I'm here filled by you. Ah, that's the relationship. But I'm also filled, what for? A purpose, a function. So I love that word, vessel. And I want to read to you a little story I found. How much time do I have, Luddy? I'll close on this, this story that I read about being a vessel, being spirit-filled, being led of the spirit, being full of God rather than being religious. It's called Infinity in a Jar. And... Um, I found it in the Book of Mysteries. It's a devotional by a guy called Jonathan Kahn. And this is what it says. It's a little long, but stick with me. It was morning. The teacher came to my room holding a little clay jar. A question, he said. Can that which is little contain that which is big? No, I answered. Can that which is finite encompass that which is infinite, he said. No, I said again. But it can, he replied. How? He lifted the jar and removed the cap from its top. It can, he said. It can if it's an open vessel. A closed vessel has, sorry, an open vessel has no limitations. It now can contain the blowing of the wind the outpouring of the rain, it can even contain the flowing of the river. It would take a long time to contain a river, I said. It could take forever, but the principle is the same. And the reason you're showing me this is, well, which is larger, 
that which you know or that which you don't know. That which I don't know, I would think. So then it's only wise that you seek that which you don't know, I guess. But how do you contain that which is bigger than you, that which is bigger than your ability to comprehend? He asked. I said, by becoming an open vessel. Yes, said the teacher. Only by opening yourself up can you come to know that which you don't already know. And only by becoming an open vessel can you contain that which is greater than yourself. The truth is always greater than our knowing. Your mind and hearts are finite clay jars, but the truth has no end. God has no end. The eternal is infinite, always flowing. Like a river, I said. Yes, he said. But when the jar opens itself, it becomes unlimited. It can contain the rivers, the water of the rivers. So open now your mind, your heart, your life. For if it is only the open vessel and an open that heart that can contain the, inf- the infinity of God. I read that and I was like, wow, that's it. That's the whole point. I've got to just screw the lid off and allow the Spirit of God to wash in and out of my life. I don't need to worry about any other thing. I just need to be focused on Him. He is my true north. He is the one that I need to align my life with so I can become an open vessel, so I can be a Jesus revolutionary rather than a religious person. Today, I want to encourage you, church, in your relationship with God. I want to encourage you to keep pressing into him, being led by the Holy Spirit, and keep widening that gap. You know, that list I had up there of all the religious things. If you feel any of them, take that to God. If you're feeling contained, if you're feeling like there's an exclusive thing, if you're feeling like the law or the rules are getting overwhelming, if you're feeling um, like you get prickly if tradition isn't kept, um, if you're struggling with routine, um, what other one? Oh, if things are neat and ordered but there is no mystery, there's no zest, there's no excitement, there's no enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm means God in us, enthused, God in us. If there's none of that, you've got to go, wow, is it religion's fault? Where are you in this spirit of God? Some of you today might need to take a step towards spirit-filled living and leave some of your religion behind. It has been a process for me, and I'm still processing it, but I am determined to keep losing my religion so I can live a spirit-filled life full of him. That's all we want. Full of him. A life full of him. That's the life you want.
Very good.